Today on the Av Podcast, I'm joined by special guest, Coach Dave McGarity, as we dive into his lengthy career of coaching D1 level basketball for over 45 years, 47 to be exact. We talk at length about his career from his beginnings at St. Francis College to being a coaching mainstay at Marist College's program and coaching some of the more unique rosters in NCAA history, which includes Rick Smith's, Rudy Bougarel, otherwise known as Rudy Gobert's dad, and what the hell, we'll include Big Brother Curtis in there as well. But we also discussed how he was one of the first coaches to recruit outside of the U.S., his transition into having a lengthy career on the women's college ranks, and everything else in between. All right, this is only part one. Part two will be out tomorrow, and both episodes will be out on my Sasha Rav YouTube channel, so you can throw it up on the 50-inch in the living room as well as listening to it, of course. Whichever platform you choose, just make sure you subscribe, hit the like and favorite buttons, if you're listening on Apple and Spotify, don't be that guy or lady. Uh, click on all of the five stars, please, and thanks. You know I'm just here for the five. I'm just here for the five. And check out my website for all things South Sharav, which once again is on SouthSharav.com. Check it out. Once again, that is, and I'm going to say it one time for the emphasis, is SouthSharav.com. It's the Av Podcast with Cal C on South Sharav Radio. Let's do it. Welcome to the Av Podcast with Cal C on South Sharav Radio. Uh, welcome to the Av Podcast. Today I am joined by a very special guest. He's coached at the D1 level in the NCAA at St. Francis, at Marist, and at the University of the Army, totaling totaling 47 years, over a thousand games, which is amazing. It's an amazing accomplishment. Uh, he's seen everything that you can see in the game of basketball. I'm glad he's here to, to discuss not just his journey, but the, the state of college basketball today. So please welcome Coach Dave McGarity to the show. How are you doing today, sir? Cal, it's great to great to hear your voice. Great to yeah. talk to you in a while. And, you know, we uh, have a long, long history with you and your family. Yeah, your big brother. So we're, yeah. uh, you know, really, uh, really excited to do this. Yeah, no, I, pre I appreciate it. I know it's been a very long time too, because uh, I remember coming there as a as a little punk kid at Marist, and you know, with a with a with a kooky haircut and just you know tagging along like a like a little runt, just trying to you know follow my big brother and watch the experience. So it's you know, <laughs> so it's yeah. actually cool to see. <laughs> oh, he uh, he had a heck of a career for me. I. You know, I, I recruited him to go to Iona, and then when I got the head job at Marist, it was uh, number one on my list to make sure he, he followed me there. So, you know, him and that uh, that other crazy Canadian I had from <laughs> over in uh, Hamilton, 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 Ontario. yeah, John Kianic. But we, uh, yeah, yeah, Curtis, uh, your brother Curtis had a terrific uh, career for me, terrific player. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just too bad. I wanted you to take more shots, but that's okay. We'll probably get you to do that later. That's fine. <laughs> now, you know, I, I mentioned that you've accumulated all of this knowledge from being involved in the in the game of basketball, and it's it's paid you back with a with a lengthy and successful career. But with that said, we all have a beginning. So, you know, I want you to you know take it back with you a little bit. Like, where where did it start with you when it came to coaching? Like, what what made you start this path? Well, honestly. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy story because I um, we're going back, you know, to the early 70s. And, you know, when it came time for my class to graduate from St. Francis College in uh -huh. 
Pennsylvania. It's now St. Francis University. Right. Uh, I, I I didn't have enough credits, and uh, unfortunately, at that time, the uh, the, the uh, military draft was going on because of Vietnam, oh. Oh. and uh, so I had to I had to enlist in in, in the in the military. So I I, I did that, and um, after I got out of there. I had to go back. I wanted to go back and finish up. And, mm-hmm. you know, there were times where I, I almost got sidetracked and stayed in, in the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the Navy, actually. It wasn't the Army. And uh, uh, because I had had so many credits, they tried to get me to go to OCS, which is the Officers Candidate School, and mm-hmm. they sent me to Annapolis. So they wanted me to, to finish there. But I, I kept I kept keeping it, you know, off the side. I didn't want to do that. Because I just wanted to go back and get my degree at St. Francis, and right. and when I did, uh, there was a new coach, a new coach, uh, somebody I didn't play for, and he asked me if I would coach the freshman team. So that's how I got into coaching, and oh, I wow. thought it was I thought it was just going to be you know just a one time thing, and I was going to graduate and go back to Philadelphia where I grew up, and and uh, hopefully I wanted to try to go to law school, but. Uh, at the end of that year, I was offered a full-time job uh, as an assistant, a Division One assistant. So I, I sort of was in the right place at the right time. And and I mean, and back then too, the coach of the freshman team. I mean, that's I don't even remember. I always read about that, but I think that's just crazy to see that freshmen weren't even allowed to play. Why did they have that rule in there? Like, why did they even do that? Well, it it was it was in there for a long, long time. Yeah. You know, I had, um, my uh, my younger brother who was a great player, uh, played at the University of Georgia, uh, Bill McGarrity. Yeah. You know, Billy played, you know, he was on a freshman team, made the old rookie team in the SEC, and uh, yeah, but he only had three years of, of, of uh, eligibility. I mean, you, you think about some of the great players, the older players, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, from UCLA, those guys all had to play on freshman teams. And, freshman teams, that's crazy. Uh, you know, same with me. You know, we played, I played on a freshman team at St. Francis, and, I played with a kid and went on to be a great NBA player. Kevin Porter played oh, for the yeah, Washington Bullets and the yeah. Detroit Pistons, and um, you know it, it was it was the way it was. So I had a, I had a great group of kids, and um, you know some of those kids went on to to have great careers. You know at the varsity level there. And how did that work? Like, did did you guys play other freshman teams like across the country, or is it just you just played to, like practice against the? I guess you want to call the, the the varsity team if you want to call it that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's almost like it was in high school. No, wow. we played. Everybody had a, a team, so we had a full schedule. We would play. Oh. Um, you know, we would go play Duquesne University in Pittsburgh. We would uh, we would play Penn State. We would play. We would go was you know wherever we had to get to to get games. The one nice thing though was you could still you could play junior colleges. You could play community colleges. Okay. And you could play prep schools. So, oh wow! You know, fast forward when I got to West Point, uh, they have they had they still have freshman teams, JV teams. Yeah, because they want to develop the kids. Because you know some of those kids are are not heavily recruited into the military academies. But you know you play a lot of prep schools. Uh, you play those type of schedules. And what happens to those those freshmen? Because when they to, to move up to the next level, because I'm figuring it's not a whole team, but at the same time, like this, yeah. if it's like six, seven, eight kids, like do, do all those kids make it to the next? You know, the, not all of them, right? No, no. It's funny because when I when I got to St. Francis, I 
back in those days, you know, I, I technically had a partial scholarship. And now we had three kids from the same high school in Chicago to get this Kevin Porter. They had to take two of his high school teammates to come to Loretto, Pennsylvania. He was at a DuSable high school in Chicago. So we had a good team. Our freshman team that year, we averaged 116 points a game. And uh, we had two kids from Philadelphia that were great players, Joe Wazinski, and it, it was good. So, you know, now the next year, you know, you had to try out. I mean, I, I, I was I was a sub my whole career. I mean, I, right. I, I used to set screens. That's all I ever did. So, mm -hmm. you know, but uh, but I, I was fortunate. You know, as a freshman, I, I had Norm Van Leer was a oh, senior. Wow. He wanted to be a great player with the Chicago the Bulls. Bulls. Yeah. Uh, and Kevin, Kevin, as I mentioned, Porter was in my class. He was my roommate for for uh, for my freshman year. So we, you know, it was it was sort of a neat you know opportunity to to be with that level of player in such a small school. Now, like fast forward us a little bit. Now you end up with the with the head coaching job at St. Francis. At the time, like, what did it mean for you in terms of like the happiness and? Did you know the pressures that was going to come with, you know, being a college coach at that time? Like when you first got the job, like what was that feeling for you? Well, you got to remember, this, we're talking about, you know, mid 70s. And, you know, I, I was when I was an assistant, I was the only full time assistant. Wow. So you now my first year as an assistant coach, I, I bought my first new car and I put 78,000 miles on it <laughs> in one year. True story. <laughs> Wow. I went through, through two transmissions, yeah. Well, St. Francis is in the middle of Pennsylvania, so to recruit anybody, oh, we had to go distance. Yeah, so we I recruited heavily in the Philadelphia area, New Jersey. Uh, I would go to D.C., mm -hmm. and then I, we, we recruit Pittsburgh, but it was hard getting good players out of Pittsburgh because Duquesne and Pitt, University of Pittsburgh had oh, a lot on those. You know, and then fast forward, you had a lot of Ohio schools too, yeah. so – because you're right on the border. But, um, you know, when I, I was the youngest Division One coach in the country, when I got the job in 1978, I was 26 years old. Oh, my God. And, um, you know, I always tell guys to speak to people at, at banquets, and, and, and the reason I got hired was I came very cheap. You know, the, the Franciscans <laughs> – the Franciscans took the vow of poverty and they expected the coach to keep it. So <laughs> I, 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 I probably the lowest paid division one coach in the country. That's the time. <laughs> well, I was going to say, but what, what was the pressure like for you? Like once you got the job, like, did you realize like, whoa, like this is like, was there a shock to it? Like, especially those first couple of years? Well, I worked for a really a great guy. Uh, his name was Pete Lonergan. He, he, when he left St. Francis, you know, and the funny story was I had, just interviewed for an assistant's job because I had been there for so long as a, you know, as a student, as a player, as an assistant. Mm -hmm. And I was offered an assistant's job at American University in Washington, D.C. At that time, the head coach was Gary Williams. And Gary, you know, went on to win a national championship in Maryland. And, you know, he was a coach at Ohio State and Boston mm -hmm. College. Gary had offered me an assistant's job, and it was what a great opportunity. I was going to be able to move to D.C., get mm -hmm. to a real city, you know. <laughs> And, um, and and I came back from that, uh, and, and the, my boss said to me, he goes, you, you got a tough decision to make because uh, I just took, he took the head job at Niagara University. Mm. Uh, and he goes, you know, they're going to offer you the job. So I, 
I, I really, it was sort of an easy decision. Yeah. And when I took the job, you know, I, I, I don't think I was ready for it, but you know what? Sometimes you just gotta, you gotta go with the flow. You got uh, to jump it was, weed first. Yeah. <laughs> I did. And, and we, you know, it's funny because we, we got out of the gate. We were nine and two. And and my first year, my only two losses were the number four team in the country, LSU, and the oh. number one team in the country at that time was Notre Dame. Notre Dame. And I was nine and two. And then and then the bottom fell out. <laughs> we, <laughs> we ended up like. I think we we ended up with a winning season by one. I think we ended up fourteen and thirteen. But uh, the schedule back in those days was incredible. I played everybody. We played Georgetown. We played. Mm. I mean, I, there was no leagues back then. The Big East yeah. wasn't even in existence then. So we played Syracuse, St. Bonaventure, Niagara, Canisius, and then we would play. You know, we would go south and play teams down in the D.C. area. We go to Philly. I played St. Joe's. I played Villanova. We played Pittsburgh, we played Duquesne, and they were all really good programs. And we held our own, but it, you know that's you know the my, my record sort of took a hit. Yeah. Second half of that. <laughs> <laughs> what what was the lessons that you would say that you you learned from that first coaching stint? Well, I, I think the St. Francis experience because it was my alma mater. It was a lot of yeah. It was, it was tough. It was a tough job. You're you're stuck in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. Uh, Central PA is a tough recruiting situation, you know, but we, you, you figured out a way to get kids. You know, I, I would take the third best player off of a great high school team, say DeMatha, and mm-hmm. uh, those yeah. kids ended up having great careers for me. Yeah. So we, we did well down there. I had really good kids from Philadelphia area because I, I grew up in Philadelphia. I played in that area. So I knew that area in South Jersey. And then we got into North Jersey and New York City. So you know, and you, you always there were always good players, and, and and the recruiting piece was really was was the key to your success. And I learned one thing I learned was recruiting and scheduling really was the biggest thing you had to be able you know to get good at if you were going to succeed. And you know, I'm not sure if, if I ever looked at it from, or most people don't look at it from a from a coach's point of view. But how hard is the recruiting process, especially when you're not at a blue blood school? Well, it was difficult because you you had to be very careful that you didn't waste. You didn't have, first of all, I had very little money in my recruiting budget, so right. you had to really be very, very uh, judicious about you know uh, do, why am I going to drive or fly somewhere or you know waste all my money recruiting a kid I have no shot at, right. or, or you know am I going to just try to you know make inroads in certain areas? And and towards the end of my tenure at St. Francis, we really got into the D.C. area and Baltimore, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, had some terrific players. And um, you look at, you know, I look, you know, I was back at St. Francis recently um, for some, for a Hall of Fame thing. And and one of the things that, that I noticed was when you look at like the all-time leading scorers there, I, I think in my, in my tenure there, I coached, I think seven of them. Oh, wow. So in, in the top 10 scorers, or I'm sorry, in the top, top 15 scores, but, you know, it, it, it's really, you know, gave me an understanding of the business. And then from there, I, you know, I went to Iona as an assistant. Uh, and that's when I recruited um, Curtis Celestine. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, you know, it, it, it was a tough time for me because at the time, you know, there, there was a big 
transition at St. Francis. The president left, a uh, new AD. A lot of things came in, and I, I was struggling dealing with some things, and I just said, you know what, it's time for me to move on. And, and you know, I think the, the feeling was mutual. Wow. So <laughs> that's what you know, Iona. But Iona had, you know, come off great years with Jimmy Valvano, uh -huh. and, you know, we had played against Iona. I coached against Coach Valvano, and, um, you know, he had just – then he left to go to NC State. NC State. Yeah, and that's the one thing yes. too with, with Philadelphia and that DMV area. They always like traditionally just had great basketball players. Just from my time, yes, even even now, they just always had just really good. Anytime you heard of basketball players from DC or, or like or like Philadelphia, you're like okay, you're like okay, I know he's probably good. I gotta be on my P's yeah. and Q's. Absolutely, that's uh, it's uh, you know the uh, who's a great little guard from uh, played for the Raptors and they won the. NBA championship. He, he's my high school in Philadelphia. Um, he, he's with uh, my was he with Miami now? A guard from uh, oh, oh Lowry, yeah, Lowry, Lowry. Yeah, yeah, what yeah, I yeah. Lowry. He's from my high school. I played he's about wearing the hat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, yeah, and and he was he's tough as nails. Yeah. He's to this day, you yeah. know, big yeah. men still have a hard time posting him up. You know, to this day, and that's that. Yeah, he's grit. tough. Kid. That's that grit. And, and all those, and, all those kids went to Villanova. A lot of those kids came out of Villanova too. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean, I know you're talking about how you're you're an assistant at Iona, and then you know during that gap between, I guess, St. Francis and Maris, but you ended up at Maris. But you had some, I would say, outside of my brother, of course, you had some rather unique uh, players at the at the school that were coming to Maris, so we're already there. Was the uniqueness of the size of the players, like Rick, Rick Smith, for example, was that like one of the main reasons why you ended up going to Mass? Like, how did that come about? Yeah, well, what happened was when Iona, after my third year at Iona, the head coach was Pat Kennedy. Kennedy. Pat, uh, he got the Florida State job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, you know, I could have, I could have gone with him, um, but I felt that. I really didn't want to make that move, and I really thought that I had a shot at getting the head job at Iona. And it came down to me and uh, the assistant who was at Notre Dame. His name was Gary Brokow. Gary played in the NBA, played for the Bucks, uh, played at Notre Dame. Uh, was you know was a great player and a, and a good guy. But you know they ended up hiring him, and I you know I was devastated at the time, and I had even thought about getting out of coaching. You know I was. Oh, wow. uh, you know, I thought about maybe going down to Wall Street. I had met a lot of people during my tenure at Iona that were working down at Wall Street. They had a lot of connections, and I was this close to doing that. But oh. then all of a sudden, a few jobs opened up. Siena opened up. Manhattan opened up. And I started interviewing for these other jobs, and then Marist opened up. And the AD at Marist, had, I had worked with at Iona for a couple of years, and then he moved on to, to, uh, to, to Marist, and and, and I ended up that, that to me that was the best opportunity, uh -huh. and because I I was offered this, I almost took the Sienna job, and uh, I interviewed twice for Sienna. Uh, they offered me the job. I drove when I drove down from Albany, New York, back to Poughkeepsie, uh, back to New Rochelle where I live. Uh -huh. uh, he asked me to stop in Poughkeepsie, and he 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 ended up bringing me in to meet with with the board of trustees and the president. And I, Sienna thought I took the job. They thought I was taking a job. So I, but Marist had Rick Smith. <laughs> you know, we had Rudy, we had uh, 
Rudy Gobert's father. Father, yeah. Uh, Rudy Gobert, yeah, that's his father. And he was seven-footer from, from uh, Guadalupe. And, you know, he was playing on the French national program. And I had Miroslav Pekarski from uh, Novi Sad, Yugoslavia. So we had some studs. I mean, we really did. And, you know, I just thought Maris was more of a Metro New York type of a team, whereas Albany, you know, Sienna was in Albany. Yeah. It was a different league. Yeah. So part of the recruit. It was too. sort of, yeah, yeah. Maris to me, well, Sienna's done well, but at the end of the day, to me, Maris was the right, was the right choice. Now, at at the time, like, was Rick Smith at the time, like, did you guys know that, or, like, he was going to the league, or did you just, like, there was the potential there at the time, or was it just like, oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. He had played the year, we, we had actually, the funny thing was, we had played my uh, last two years at Iona, we had played against Maris. So, I saw Rick Smith play in his very, one of his first college games as a freshman. Uh, they almost beat Villanova. Oh, wow. And, in 1985, and, and Villanova went on to win the national championship, championship. that year with Raleigh Massimino. Smits was a raw. He was big. The plan was to redshirt him, but the, the Yugoslavian kid, Pekarski, broke his foot. So they had to redshirt him. So Smits played. I, I, I saw him play his first three games because we played. No, we scout, I scouted him, then we played them. Uh, I tell you, I, I haven't. I never saw a big kid improve that much game to game to game. Mm. He was that talented. So by the time I got there, the problem was they had, had a problem. The, the coach that was there, the players didn't get along with him. He was only there a couple years, and I knew him. He was from Pittsburgh. He had been yeah. at Robert Morris College, and um, the the players were threatening all to transfer. They didn't want to come back. A couple oh, wow. of the foreign kids. So what happened? I had well, they did, and then yeah. I had to come in and re-recruit everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I had to go to Europe. I was in Europe for for almost two plus weeks. I was behind the Iron Curtain oh, in wow. Hungary. <laughs> I was in Yugoslavia, and I had we had a kid from Budapest, Hungary. We had a kid from Yugoslavia. That was both behind the Iron Curtain. Wow. I was in Amsterdam, and then Eindhoven Island. Then I was in France. I was in Paris with Bouguerel, right. uh, with Gobert's father. And uh, it was nuts. And I had to basically convince them to come back because Smith had had an unbelievable game in the NCAA tournament his sophomore year against Georgia Tech. Uh -huh. He had outplayed John Sally. He outscored him 22 to 9. He outplayed uh -huh. him. And, um, you know, you talk about – you know, the transfer portal, he would have been gotten. <laughs> he would have been gotten. <laughs> the word was Dale, Dale Brown from LSU was, was absolutely salivating over him because that's where they played the regional in Baton Rouge. Ah, so you saw. And people, no one knew who the heck he was. Mm -hmm. And here's the seven-foot-four kid who was just – Just killing you. talk about – oh, unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. So, so anyway. So no, I was going to say for, you know, you've obviously had a handful of, and actually before I even get into my question, because I remember as a kid, um, you know, my brother, and we affectionately call him on South Shirab, we call him Big Brother Curtis, um, as part of the, like the, the, the family members of, the, of this, of this podcast network. But, um, I remember, um, Rudy's dad coming to stay with us in Montreal when I think it was, I, I was like in grade four, but it was, um, 
It was one of the freakiest things I ever seen. I've never met somebody that big and that tall before. And for people that don't know, Rudy looks exactly like his dad. Like, oh, exactly, like exactly like his dad. It's weird. Like when I saw the pictures, like recently, I think about a year ago of, of um of Rudy's father, I was like, I was like, wow, it's a splitting image. Like he looks just like him. Just maybe not as big. Like Rudy's Gobert is probably not as like he's a little a little thinner, maybe. But I I just remember Rudy's yeah. dad being like just just a bulky, huge guy, at least to me at that at that time. And watching somebody that much taller than my brother, who was already six seven. So to see somebody that much taller than him and made him look small was just that was just the freakiest thing I ever seen at the time. Yeah, he he was a big man. He was a big man. He <laughs> would have. Uh, it's a shame he didn't come back uh, because, unfortunately, you know he decided not to come back, uh, and you know I think that extra year would have helped him. You know he yeah. stayed and played. I think he played one of the French national team, but. He just never really got to the next level in terms of his skill set. And, um, you know, he played with because Pekarski left after the 87 season. And because the uh, that was the Olympic year in 88. Wow. And he made the uh, he exactly. made the he, he was from Serbia. So he, he was on the uh, Yugoslavian Olympic team. And they had that great, great team because, you know, between, uh, you know, Croatia and, and Serbia, I mean, yeah. they were playing against. Together at the time, so I think they won the silver medal that year. But then the next year, Bukarski came back. Was Smith's graduated? He got drafted, second pick, you know, number two pick in the draft in '88 uh -huh. to the Pacers. And then Bukarski came back, but Bugarel didn't. And and uh, you know, and that, that's and then Bukarski played with with your brother right that year. Yeah, I believe uh, that was his junior year, Curtis' junior year. Yeah, so that's so that's interesting because you've had like you know Canadian players, you've had you know like European players. Yeah, I mean, you to me, you're actually looking back on this like you're actually ahead of your time in terms of recruiting international players. Now, like, were you actually like back then? What made you start looking outside? I know, I know, Maris already had some of those players, but what made you start like thinking outside of the U.S. box in terms of recruiting players at the time? Because I mean, everybody well, does it now, but back then, I mean, that was was pretty rare. Yeah, there there were certain schools that sort of had a niche there, but we the reason I did was my brother was over there. Yeah, my brother, my brother graduated uh, from from Georgia. He was with the New York Nets back in the ABA okay. days. So he was with Julia, Doctor J, with Julia serving the ABA championship. Then he got released. He. He, he didn't have a no cut. They had two guys on that team that were no cut, and he was better than both of them. Mm -hmm. His coach was Evan Lockery. I remember it was mm -hmm. awful. And he, so he, he was so bummed out when he got released that he just jumped on a foreign tour and went to Europe, and he, he never came back. He's been, oh, wow. He, stayed, he still lives in Sweden. And, oh, wow. Uh, but he, he played in Europe for years and years and very successful. He ended up playing most of the years in Sweden, but he helped me with a couple international kids. I had a couple of good Swedish kids and, um, you know, it, it, it just was always sort of in my mind, you know, it, it, mm -hmm. it was such a great, uh, and those kids were good kids. I mean, we never had any problems with any of those kids. And, Very coachable. Uh, yeah, they were. I mean, you know, and, and I, I just felt that, you know, if you could find one kid, maybe one or two kids, it, it, it would be a good fit. That it was certainly worth 
you know, the, the time and effort. Now, you know, when you see, obviously, the, the World Championship just finished, uh, because as a recorder, just ha- just finished this past weekend. But, like, when you see a team like Team Canada, like, do well in the World Cup, were you, like, like at this stage now, where are you surprised by what's happening now across the border? Or, what, like, with the talent pool just growing the way it has been? Like, are, are you surprised by any of this, like, at this point now? Especially seeing that you were in the, in the process of seeing international players back then or, or even Canadian players, right? No, I, I'm not not at all. I mean, I, I think it's become such an international game and, and the the skill level when you look at Jokic, you know, I mean, he's he's arguably, you know, the best player in the world right now. I mean, and, and there's so many other kids. It's just like it goes on and on and on. I look at the number the number one draft pick this year, you know, for the Spurs. I mean, yeah. he's just you know, he's incredible. I mean, talent. But, but, I mean, you know, if you go back and you just look at the history of it all, I mean, there's been so many great, great players. I mean, from over there and now. And I, I just think, you know, it's it, it's just a different training, a different you know, mindset. It, it was more – those younger kids were more serious about it. And it was it was more – you know, they were so young in those club – in the club-level teams, and then they – you know, some of those kids, you know, they didn't want to come over and play in the States. Yeah. They, they felt they they were better served staying there, you know. And, and, you know, I had a nephew. My nephew was a very talented kid. He was 6'11". He was in oh. Sweden. He's one of the top juniors. And it's my brother's son. Yeah. And he, you know, he was 17. And he had – everybody was recruiting him in, in the States. and then, But he, he chose to go. He went to Spain. Signed a contract, but but he got he, he got with a bad club, and and the coach didn't play him or didn't utilize him the right way, and you know the, the, when he signed it was a different coach, and then all of a sudden things changed, and so so two years later he said heck with this I'm going, so then he came over he went ended up at Boston College, okay, and and then the coach that recruited him got fired, uh, and then he ended up. He, he ended up transferring to where he should have gone in the first place. He went to Davidson okay. in North Carolina. Right. And had a great he had a great two years there. He went to two NCAAs and and then he ended up playing and he went back and actually played in Spain for a number of years. Better, he just retired. Yeah. And then and then his sister his sister just graduated a few years ago from Virginia Tech. And she's the all time leading uh rebounder in ACC history. Oh wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Reagan, Reagan McGarity, Reagan unbelievable career, and um, you know played with the Connecticut Sun in the WNBA for a bit, and now she's playing in um, she's in France. I think she just signed a new contract uh, in Spain. So you know it's it's it is what it is. I mean kids kids playing over there have to really make a decision about what's best for their future. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I mean you're seeing and you're seeing that now. Um, but like going back to Mars for a moment, I know you ended up making the tournament in '87, right? Was it '87 or yeah, '87? You made the tournament, you know, for the first time. You got Coach of the Year, and like, how hard was it to schedule games as a mid-major at that time, especially when you had those type of players um, on your roster? Like, how, well, how many teams was afraid to play you guys? Well, they they were players, but we had to play on the road. We never got, yeah, we couldn't get any home games. Yeah, yeah, you know, I played my. Miami played Miami twice. They had a great player, Tito Horford. That's Horford. Um, Al Horford's Horford, dad. Al Horford's dad, 
and he was, you know, one of the, supposedly one of the best centers in the country. And we played him in Madison Square Garden, and then we played him in Miami. We beat him in Miami. We actually lost in overtime in the Garden. Should have won that game. It was, mm-hmm. it was the first year of the three-point shot. <laughs> and oh. we, I, up to this day, I, I, I should have fouled instead. Some kid hit a ridiculous four-footer. But anyway, uh, you know, we played at Providence. Um, Patino had just gone to the Final Four. We played in the Holiday Festival in Madison Square Garden with uh, against St. John's and and um, Kansas and Danny Manning. That that that's that's where the the infamous uh, scene from Coming to America that's <laughs> filmed your guys' game, right? Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So uh, I was hoping that we would be, we'd make it to the the uh, the, re, the, the the second uh, Coming to America one. I, but we were. It's probably a good thing. I don't know if you saw the movie. It's probably a good thing. Yeah, I <laughs> but um, but you know, after all the years of, of coaching men's basketball, like for you, what made you make the, the the change to enter women's college basketball and join Army's program? I'm interested in seeing that side of it, especially when you're coaching that long in men's basketball. Yeah, well, you know, I had a good run in Marist. I mean, we get to. 2004 and um you know at the time we 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 just had a lot of things go wrong we had a couple kids with serious injuries we had a group of young kids though i had put together a really nice group of freshmen we had a kid who went on to be the player of the year in a conference i had in that freshman class and and i had a kid red shirt of of that and those kids they all Either were all conference, all rookie, all player of the year. Uh, Jared Jordan got drafted, played, uh, had a cup of coffee uh, mm-hmm. with the Clippers. Uh, so I mean, we had some good young kids, but you know, I'd been there so long, and it was just like you know, I was banging heads with the president. He had been there too long. I had been there too long. Too long. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I made the transition out. Spent two years in athletic administration. Was an assistant commissioner for the Metro Atlanta Conference, where okay. Maris was a member. Right, and then then I went to the Mid American Conference, and um, you know that was you know a good move because it was big time football, yeah. and uh, you know the only thing was I was going to have to move to Cleveland, so um, mm-hmm. you know we I, I, I I'm doing my job and I'm covering a football game, and they asked me to go home. My family was still in Poughkeepsie and I cover a game at army. And the, I know everybody in army because when I was coaching Marist, we played army all the time. Right. Um, and, um, they, they approached me about the women's the women's job had opened up and I'm like, well, I never coached women. you know. <laughs> so that's how, that's how it all started. Now I had talked to other people before, uh, people had approached me about coaching, you know, helping out a couple different programs. But I, I just, you know, I, I didn't think that was something I wanted to do. I thought it was time to move on. But then this Army thing came up. And, you know, what was nice about it, Cal, was that I didn't have to relocate because I was going to have to move to Cleveland where the Mid-American Conference office right. was. And my wife was like, so when I approached, when I told my wife, I said, look, you're not going to believe this. They want me to, you know, they would coach women here at West Point. Now, West Point's only 40 minutes down the river from Poughkeepsie. Yeah. So, you know, it's right there. And 
I could commute and stay in our house in Poughkeepsie. And my, my wife's like, I guess, does that mean we don't have to move to Cleveland? You know, that's, you know, that's perfect. <laughs> so that, that's how that, you know. And, and my daughter at that time had finished playing. You know, she had a great career at Marist, took them to their first NCAA tournament in 2004. And mm -hmm. she was coaching uh, at Marist. And then she was at Fairfield University. And she kept saying to me, Dad, you know, you, you really got your coach. You're not. A, and I really wasn't into the, being an administrator, to be honest with you. Yeah. I, was, I, I mean, I had to deal with like 12 angry coaches. I was in charge of men's basketball. I had to deal with the officials. I, I had to deal with all the officials, the supervisors. Uh, I mean, my phone wouldn't stop ringing. Sounds like a lot of stress. About, oh, it was awful. It was, it was awful. <laughs> You know, the only thing I ever, I still feel bad to this day was the guy that hired me was one of the nicest people I've ever worked with or for. His name was Rick Christ, was a commissioner, and he, he really took care of me. He really put together a great package for me. Mm -hmm. It would have been, it would, I would have been fine, but this was just sort of a weird thing that came up. And, you know, um, I'm thinking, to be honest with you, if, if I was going to coach women, I couldn't imagine coaching anywhere but West Point because those kids are so different, you know, in the military. They're just different. And they're yeah. different. They're tougher kids. They're a little bit more, you know, focused, driven. And and I just think they're, you know, I, I don't know if I could survive at another school coach. They could take the hard coaching, I guess, in that sense. Well, they, they did. I mean, pretty much. I mean, you know, there were times I crossed the line, I guess. But, mm -hmm. you know, my – the fact that I was able to hire my daughter to be my assistant was was really, you know, really a huge key for my success because I, I I don't think I would have survived without her. Now, I, and I want to make sure I'm getting the story correct. So were you around the time? Were you there the same time when when uh, was it Maggie Dixon that was there? Was there at the time? Yeah, that's who, that's who hired me. Maggie okay. was the one that talked me into taking the job. OK, so Maggie, so that's what I, I worked with her for the, the year. At the end of that year, uh, we had a great year. 2006, we could go to the first NCAA tournament in right. Academy system. I mean, she's a rock star. I'm thrilled. My one of my old assistants, who who your brother knows well, Jeff Bauer, um, oh, yeah, is, that, yeah. is now general manager of of the New Orleans, you know, New Orleans team. And, and I, I'm like, he offers me an unbelievable job, you know. So it's scouting. I'd be you know, NBA scout with them, with, with New Orleans at the time. So I take the job. I tell Maggie, Maggie hires my daughter to replace me. Oh, wow. And I'm like, it's perfect, you know. Less than a week later, I'm down at the NBA free draft camp in Portsmouth, Virginia. I get a phone call. I'm with her brother, Jamie, who's a coach at Pitt at the time. And she collapsed. Uh, she had an enlarged heart and she went into a coma and she passed and within the next two days she passed away. So that's, it was horrible. So that was a very tough time, but you know, I wasn't sure I had taken the NBA job. So I'm like, you know, we fly out to a funeral. They approach me, uh, the superintendent, who's like a three-star general and the athletic director say, look, we really need you to, we need you to stay. And I'm saying, Hey, I, I don't know if I'm the right person for this job. You know, I'm, I'm not Maggie Dixon, you know, and they're not, no, the players really want you. The players want you to, and I'm like, well, 
you know, I sort of took another job, you know, it's sort of like a dream job. Yeah. So, yeah. And I just, you know, I had to really think about it. And then I said, you know, again, and my daughter's like that, you know, if you, if you take that, you're going to be, you know, flying all over the place, sitting in gyms in Lithuania. And, you know, that's what I would have been doing, you mm -hmm. know, and, and that's, that, that would have been fine. But here was an opportunity, you know, and the kids, I just, it was a great group of young ladies and they were great kids. And so I figured out, ah, I'll, do, I'll do it for a year or two. The trend kind of transition. Years. Yeah. <laughs> like I was going to so say, it, the, it, it, at the time was going to transition to that long when that happened. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I never imagined it. And Maureen, when I convinced her, you know, I, I didn't think they were going to let me hire her. Because, you know, they have that, uh, whatever that's called, that rule about hiring your relatives, you know, uh, whatever it's called. But anyway, they yeah. were like, well, you know, Maggie, Maggie already had hired her and offered her the job. So I'm like, well, if I can hire her, then then I'll definitely do it. You know, thinking that'd be fun working with her for a couple of years and then yeah. I'd move on. But then the problem was she moved on. <laughs> so, you know. And she went to New Hampshire. So, but it was, um, yeah, it was great. I mean, we had, you know, had a lot of fun, you know, won a lot of games and we had a lot of, we, Jesus Christ, we had to run four years and won a hundred games in four years. Wow. I mean, you know, with had some great players and an all American little, little guard from California, Kelsey Manato was, she's the all time leading scorer in Patriot League history. She's, she was a mid major player of the year. Great, great, I mean, just a great, group of kids i mean and, and just you know it was a, really a lot of fun I, I enjoyed it and you know i probably could have stayed longer than i i was going to retire at the end of the 2016 season when she when kelsey and her that class graduated you know we 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 uh we retired a banner in, in that class of 2016's honor at, at the at the college and um you know it was a special group and and i felt really you know connected but connected you know, we had good kids and, and the AD was a great guy and he, he just came, look, you, you know, we need you to stay. And I'm like, oh, I, I just don't know if I want to do this anymore. It was tough. I coached for 40, 46 years. Yeah. You know? So, uh, yeah, what I, what I wanted to ask, like, did, did it, for like going to the army and coaching women, like, did it, did it change you as a coach? Did you feel like you were coaching the same or did it, did you coach differently at that, at that point? Uh, my first year with Maggie, it was a really good transitional thing for me because I got a feel for certain things. Now, when I took over, like, like I, I was very clear to the team. I said, look, I'm not going to be the same person you guys think you know. You know, I, mean, I, I was like the big teddy bear, you know, mm -hmm. you know? and I was, I, I was everybody's friend. I was the assistant. You know? right. It was fun being an assistant, you know, but now here I am and, you know, it was, there was some, I, I, you know, I, I had a few hairy days. I we, but but Maureen, as I mentioned, my my daughter was great and smoothing things over. She was good at, at dealing, you know, with making sure, you know, she would grab me and say, you know, that that you can't say that, or you mm -hmm. can't, you know, you got to be careful. But, but you know, I figured it. I mean, I believe me, I, you know, I, and there were times. I mean, it, my wife always says to me, my wife Rita always says. I still can't believe you didn't get fired for doing something stupid. You know? <laughs> and, and it's, well, in this day and age, the way things are, you know, it, it, all it takes is is making one stupid one remark or just yeah. 
Well, you think about me. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm old school. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, and I coach guys for, you know, for so long. I mean, yeah, so, you know, it, it was, it, it was an interesting transition, but again, being there, it, it, you know, at West Point was, was probably, you know, in my benefit to be in that type of an environment. What was the biggest thing you learned um, or that you got out of coaching? You know, especially when you you coach for as long as you did. I I just think you know the ability you know to make sure that uh, you know being being fair with people is you know being able to treat people the right way. You know, and, and no matter who they were, I always felt I always felt that way. I think I I think I was pretty good at that. I'm not saying you know kids that didn't play were, were, were happy or maybe things didn't go the way they wanted to go. But I always tried to make sure that, you know, that I, I was being honest with people. I think, you know, the, the, you know, people talk about having an open door policy, but I don't think our, any of my kids, whether it was the guys or, or women, you know, felt that they couldn't come and talk to me. Now there were times with the women, I felt they were more comfortable talking about certain things with right. the assistants, you know, right. but, you know, cause I, for the most part, I had mostly female assistants, you know, I had a couple guys over the years, but at the end of the day, it was important to me that, that they, they felt that, that they could, you know, come to me if they had an issue or they had problems, you know, and, you know, and but then there were other kids that would take advantage of things or they would try to push the envelope too far. But, you know, I think being, you know, being honest with people and, and, and just trying to treat people the way you would want to be treated. I mean, you know, the, the golden rule to me was important in coaching because I just think coaches, a lot of times, coaches that I've seen in my career, that, you know, they would crash and burn or they would they would be, you know, things would be going great. And then you'd be like, you know, that, that guy's going to, he, it's going to it's going to come back to bite him sooner or later. Yeah, and, and you know, and for the most part, it usually does. And, and those are the guys that you know that, that really, I think, burn a lot of bridges. And, and I, I don't think I ever did that. You know, and, and, and I think that's something I've always tried to be careful about. And as a parent, especially when that's involved in in sports, like, and this has become your life's work, like it's only natural that you want to see your children kind of take after you. So I know your son, Dave played at, you know, he played with you at Marist. Um, However, obviously your daughter, you know, she literally took your path and became a, eventually became a D one college coach. And she's, you know, carving out her career in her own right. Um, For you, were you surprised by her path? I know she played, you know, for you, she played at Marist and she had all her accomplishments, but did you know that this was something that she wanted to do? When she was younger, Cal, she, you know, I remember, and I, and I tell people this, I mean, if you look at, there were a lot of, there's there a lot of things written over the last couple of years about our, our relationship, because if you go back to the 2000, like my last season, when I, the year I retired, was the year we played, I coached against her. And, you know, and she kicked my, you know, what, <laughs> a couple of times. I got her, I finally got her in the last game, but, um, there were a lot of art. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're like killing me on, 
you know, uh, Good Morning America on ABC. They're saying, boy, the daughter really, really took it to the old man last night. I'm like, okay. <laughs> but some of the articles that they wrote were really, really nice. The Boston Globe, ESPN, uh, this woman who does a lot of stuff for ESPN, Michelle Vopel, wrote beautiful articles about – but it, it was – a lot of people really picked up on it because it was – it was still fresh in everybody's mind about Kobe and his daughter passing yeah, away. And, girl, dad. And, you know, the dad, dad, daughter thing. And people really, and, you know, it was the first time in NCAA history that a, that a coach, Division One, you know, women's basketball, that a, that a the father coached against the daughter. Yeah. And uh, so that, you know, they, they picked up on it pretty big. But most of those articles always – refer back to the fact when she was a young kid she absolutely would be sitting there i'd be watching film i'd be watching recruits on a video i'd be watching a game she'd be there watching with me and she'd be like you know asking questions and and i'd be like really i mean she was like 10 12 13 years old Mm. and then the whole AU thing when that started i mean she played with sue bird all the way up and i used to have to drive See, I would drive when she got picked up by the uh, the New York Liberty Bells, which was the big AU team in New York, and they were all out of Christ the King High School where Sue played. Uh-huh. And Maureen got picked up as a guest player one year when she was like twelve, and then she stayed with them all the way. And uh-huh. she was a year younger. She was a year younger than Sue, but um, so she really was exposed to the high level at a young age. And uh, you know, I think. She, she was a two-time captain at Maris. She was, I mean, there was a lot of things. She, she just had a feel for things. and She knew how to deal with things. And she, she I think it's really in her blood, you know. I mean, she gets it. And I think she, she has an entirely different demeanor than me. I mean, she's very calm. She's very, where well, I was nuts. I mean, I was crazy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, not always, but I mean, more. I, I calmed down later on in my career yeah but but your brother will tell you i mean i was wacky (laughs) sometimes but i just think that um you know she she i think saw that and said you know that's not me Mm -hmm. and they will she has her own identity and she she gets it but she's really she's i think she's really you know good now honestly you know the way things are going in the ncaa right now with nil and the transfer portal and everything else you know what? She's. I can tell she's starting to get really frustrated with certain things because it's creeping into that level. Because yeah. those kids, you know, you know, it's it's really a shame because I think it's 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 going to ruin it's going to ruin the game as we knew it. You know, the college game as we knew it. It's going it's going to. Thank you for taking in the latest episode of the Av Podcast. I'll take a little bit of time at the moment and give a shout out and special thanks to Coach Dave McGarity for doing this podcast. But we're not done. We're not. We're not done. We're not done. <laughs> uh, part two of this episode will be out tomorrow, where we get into the world of NILs and transfer portals and how it's changed the landscape of collegiate sports for better and for worse. All right, hear our conversation about it tomorrow. And with that said. Hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you listen to podcasts, including my website over at SalSharav.com. I appreciate and thank you. We'll be back tomorrow with part two of Coach McGarity's interview 
on the Half Podcast. Until then, my name is Cal C. And you just tuned into the latest episode of the Half Podcast right here on South Sharaf Radio. All right, until tomorrow. Peace. We out. <laughs>